listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us every week as we break down an issue in global politics so that you can understand what's happening in the world right now, but also what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name's Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. And this week, we are discussing crime and crime reporting in the United States and what role it played, if any, in the recent midterm elections. Keith, we are examining a piece written by the Sufan Centre that looks at the trends of crime reporting in the lead-up to the November vote. What's it saying we saw? Well, what they're saying is that crime reporting exaggerated the extent of a lot of the crime in the United States. Crime was a good campaigning issue, particularly for the Republicans, being able to say that Democrat-controlled cities particularly were getting out of control. And so we saw horrendous film footage, for example, people looting the big stores and the houses in San Francisco. The police now have a policy. You're allowed to steal a certain amount of goods. Oh, nice. But you've got to keep it under, I think it's about $100 worth. Right. They won't go after you. It's just not worth it. Well, that's fair. The crime problem is just so extensive. Mm. The article argues that generally speaking, there has not been a dramatic increase in the level of crime. But the article also says we have problems with the reporting of crime in the United States. So there's no national database, Mm. except that which is maintained by FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And they just simply bring together the statistics that get reported to them. But a lot of statistics don't make it to FBI in in Washington, D.C. It's very difficult to get a clear idea. And there is this perception that the streets are violent. As I say, the film footage is very dramatic. Mm. I get a, a daily update from San Francisco on what's going on there in terms of crime. And it really is horrendous. You know, you've got these groups, usually young men, wearing hoods, Mm. which then obscures their faces. And they just go around these rich districts, just checking on cars. If they see something inside a car worth having, they just smash the window and reach in. They try to break into homes. It is pretty grim Mm. if you rely on media reporting. The problem is the media are not reporting on all the areas that are not being vandalised. Oh, I haven't heard anything about this in San Francisco specifically. Particularly San Francisco, which has got also a major homelessness problem as well. And, of course, the Republicans are saying, look, this is what happens when the Democrats get control of a place. They just lose control. They're soft on crime. They had an attorney general who was very reluctant to bring charges against people because he said, look, jail is not a reforming place, which I agree. But there is also a prison industrial complex Mm. in the United States. There are a lot of financial interests who like to see people go to jail. That's how they make their money. So the jails are overcrowded. The prisoners are not really reformed. They're basically universities of crime. And so this attorney general, who's now lost his job, was saying, well, look, let's um, try to see if we can find alternative ways of dealing with crime. The problem is that you then had all these problems on the streets. And so the Democrats um, were being held responsible for what was going on. The causes of crime are very deep-seated. There's no one single explanation. My own feeling is that people who commit crime are not so much motivated by the fear of going to jail, but the likelihood of being caught. Mm. So if you have a good policing system, you don't want to risk it in the first place. That's right. uh, Rather than going to jail for a long period of time. So the perception of crime is certainly there. And if you're a Republican politician, 
crime is always something worth playing with. As we see in this country, this is not unique to the United States, but what we do see in the United States is the extent to which crime is weaponized for party politics. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you about that in terms of political groups using this issue as an advertising tool. Is it fear-mongering? Is that what it is in its most basic form? There is an element of fear-mongering. That, that is certainly true. And it remains a great issue for the Republicans to try to split Democrats because clearly some Democrats want to be tough on crime and others do not. So certainly there is this perception. But also, as the article points out from the Sufain Centre, there is a real problem with guns, violence in the United States. And there's no getting away from that. So whereas most crime, as far as we can tell, is not dramatically increasing, there is certainly a real problem of gun-related violence. The other thing I saw in the article was, I believe there's been an increase in homicides. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, is that something that they're using as well to say, oh, well, we've got an issue and we need to solve it? Absolutely. And with good reason. You know, If you're worried about getting shot, the level of crime varies from one area to another. It's, it's geographically biased in some respects. You know, you've got some polite, nice white areas who mm. just don't have too much crime or shooting, but you get other areas like Chicago where shooting is a regular occurrence. Yeah. The article, I think, is very good in that it keeps reminding us that, in fact, we don't have a good snapshot of crime in the United States, unlike, say, in Australia, where we're far more standardised in the collection of crime statistics. Now, of course, there are certain crimes that have a very low reporting rate, mm. but generally speaking, we have a better perception of the level of crime in this country than you can have in the United States. As I say... 63% of law enforcement agencies don't send any statistics in to FBI. And two of the big problems are the New York City Police Department and the Los Angeles Police Department, who have not yet even submitted data for the year 2021. So people seem to be very haphazard about data collection. Now, they will say, look, we're too busy solving today's crime sure. to go around filling in yet more paperwork yeah. reporting on this to FBI. But it means that we don't get a very clear idea of this. But certainly when it comes to actual deaths, there's no doubt at all that there has been a year-on-year -year increase in the number of people dying by gun violence. I find interesting the difference in the policing structure in the United States versus Australia. Could you explain, because I understand there's three levels. Is there of policing? You've got the local, the state and the federal. Is that right? Well, local gets even more local. Mm, you know, yes. I covered the Boston Marathon shooting, mm. Channel 7, and the second suspect was caught at Watertown, which is a suburb of Boston. And the chief of police in Boston City, which was handling the, the marathon shooting, did not know the police chief in Watertown. Wow. So America has thousands of police forces. Capitol Hill has its own. So is it? So the is White it, House has its own. Yeah, and it's not governed by like in Australia, which is what we we're used to. We have obviously the states. Each state has its own police force. They've got their own stations, but there's you know how many police forces? Six, seven police forces <laughs> in Australia, and then you've got the AFP. So it's it's very straightforward. Very straightforward. And New South Wales Police Force mm. is the fifth largest in the world. Is it really? Yeah. There you go. 
But I guess that's the thing is in America, it's different because you've got these very localized. Exactly. We're going off on a bit of a tangent here, but I think this is interesting. There's a um, reality family I know, and they talk about police officers being elected. Do you know yep. anything about that? Yeah, so you stand for election. Remember in America, nobody trusts anybody. Right. So you always <laughs> have to be elected. In Australia, we have a policy of crown appointments. Mm. So people get appointed by the Queen <laughs> or King now. What's being done in the name of the monarch, it just gets done. Right. And we've learned to live with that. It's no big deal for us. Mm. But in the United States, you get the local dog catchers up for election. It's bizarre. <laughs> it is bizarre. And, of course, that's also worth bearing in mind that in the United States, there is no standardised electoral system mm. or voting system. It all depends on one state to another and sometimes between counties within a state. So this is the, the very fragmented American approach. My own explanation for this to my American students is that America was formed as a nation state before the rise of a united Germany. Okay. So when Germany was united in 1870, you had a very strong centralised control from Berlin. And similarly in France, under Napoleon even earlier, and it's been said that they, at any one time the Minister of Education can look at their watch and know exactly what subject is being taught in schools wow. at that very moment. Yeah. So that Napoleonic system, mm. the Bismarck system, these were the beginning of what we would regard as today's nation-state system. In Britain, it's lagging a little behind when you look at police forces. You have the City of London, and then you have the London Met, and then you have the Manchester Police Force, etc. So they are also somewhat localised, but the American one, it grew up organically because that was how the United States was settled. Right. And so people just got together, they formed their own townships, and they just grew. So this was back at the end of the 18th century. If America had been formed, I think, 100 years later, I think you'd have a different constitutional structure in the United States. And in terms of data collection, which we touched on in terms of crime statistics, is this what makes it so difficult? Is because it's just fragmented, it's all over the place and no one's keeping track. Exactly. And and some of the police forces there are just so small. The article gives an idea about some of the police stations, police forces, you know, just handfuls of people. Whereas here in New South Wales, we have mm. thousands. This week on Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter, we're discussing the issue of crime reporting in the US, particularly around election time. You touched on it before, Keith, the gun issue in the United States. How does this debate shape crime and crime reporting? It's interesting. After a mass shooting incident, we have now so many in the United States, the gun control lobby tries to politicise the issue by saying this is a time when we need to talk about gun control and the gun advocates will say, no, this you can't exploit these dead bodies for your own political purposes. So you really get, don't get a good debate about guns. The article looks at the way in which the gun lobby just encourages people to have guns. The article actually claims there are now more guns in America than there are people. Mm. It's an incredible statistic. So there's 300, 340 million yeah. people. So we've got more guns. It's hard to fathom. For me, there's, there's this interesting irony, which is not explored in this article, but it's worth reflecting on, that the Americans, on the one hand, at least the gun lobby, would say that we need to have more and more guns in circulation so you feel secure, mm. and I need to have a gun to shoot you if I'm insecure about you. In other words, everybody needs to have a gun, including your schools. 
you need to have teachers who are armed. Yeah. On the other hand, the Americans are also opposed to the spread of nuclear weapons. Now, if you were being really consistent about the value of arming people, you'd say to North Korea and South Korea and Japan, get nuclear weapons. Yeah. The world will be a safer place mm. if everybody is scared of everybody else. That's and right. Therefore, there will be no attacks. But the Americans have this contradictory approach. So many of their politicians support the gun lobby, but at the same time oppose the expansion of nuclear weapons to other countries. Has it become an issue maybe that's past logic? It's <laughs> Exactly. You know, it's so ingrained in Australians. We look at Americans who support guns as far right, but it's, it's pervasive across all sects of society and they defend it so strongly. You know, for me personally, when I talk to them, I can't see a change ever happening no. with, with gun control. No, I don't think you're ever going to get a change. As you say, it's embedded in the culture. Mm. I don't think it's a right-wing issue. No. Some of my students who are from Boston University, a nice blue state of Massachusetts, they have parents who have guns at home. It is, for me, it's interesting that mm. it is, as you say, so embedded in the culture. Again, I think history is worth examining on this. So you get the formation of the United States. 1789. By no means guaranteed that it would last. It was very much an experiment. They were going to operate without a king. They were going to operate without a ruling family. Remember, the Europeans all said America is not going to last very long. It'll fall apart. And yet America has managed to stay together, even though it's surrounded by hostile countries, which in those days would have been Britain, France, and Spain. Mm. And the way in which they safeguarded that security was by arming their citizens. So that's what the Second Amendment is all about, that you have this right to bear arms because anybody trying to invade the United States would be mad because there's just so many muskets and rifles yeah. in existence. <laughs> Silly and it to paid risk off. It. Yeah. Nobody did try to invade, except for the British in 1812 with the dispute over the Canadian border. Other than that, nobody tried to invade the United States. So for me, it's fascinating that people who supported the Second Amendment have actually been vindicated by history. Yes. It's made America safer from invasion. The problem is it's made America more vulnerable to Americans shooting each other. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> and, and sticking with that idea and in terms of crime reporting and the politics around the gun issue, could you explain, I guess, who's in charge of those laws? Or is it very local, same as the police? They laws? are local laws. So we're talking about... One estimate I see put it at 33,000 different laws. Wow. So there is this overall Second Amendment, which guarantees the right to bear arms, and then it gets interpreted by courts and local government, state government, etc. cetera. Mm. So there are some states where there are restrictions on who can buy guns. So you, you've got universal background checks for all gun sales, more regulation of online gun sales, looking at the issue of carrying guns in public places, for me it's amazing that, you know, you get people going into McDonald's fast food outlet wearing a gun. I know. And the open carry laws. Exactly. And, and the stand your ground ones as well. Exactly. So um, it varies from one state to another, one county to another. And so this is why, again, I'd be very pessimistic about bringing about any dramatic change, even though we have these horrendous massacres of school children or Walmart workers or whatever, I don't think there's going to be a, a change because it'd be just so difficult mm. to unravel all of those laws. I wanted to return to the issue of um, crime as a 
re-election or an election tactic in terms of advertising. And we kind of touched briefly on the idea of whether it's fear-mongering or not. But do we see, or I feel like we don't see similar tactics used in Australia. Why do you think that is? As the article points out, America is far more dangerous than its Western allies. So that's Western Europe, Great Britain. It doesn't mention Australia, but Australia obviously would be in that category. We have a lot of guns in circulation. Mm. You know, it's a farming country and you have a lot of pests that you've got to shoot. But the sale of weaponry is very tightly regulated. So we do have shootouts, but I think it's also part of a broader crime cultural issue that I think that we do have a few criminals in this country, obviously, but we don't seem to have them as widespread as you see in the United States with this sort of Wild West attitude. If, If you don't have the same sort of flourishing crime culture, You don't need to have a flourishing gun culture Mm. to accompany it. So I think that they are certainly important features. They go back perhaps to the issues of equality, poverty, how people are brought up. You know, if you're brought up in a home where you see guns around, you just take them for granted. That's right. Whereas most Australians do not live in that sort of situation. Even if you go to rural properties, guns are still under very strict lock and key. Guns have to be kept away from ammunition, etc., We do get some tragic use of guns for suicide, so that is certainly a problem. But it's just a safer culture, I think, in this country. Mm. And my students from Boston feel that when they're here, that they they don't feel as though they're under threat in the way that, you know, you go to a Walmart store and suddenly you get shot. To wrap us up in terms of the idea of crime reporting in general in the US and its amplification during elections, do you think it's a successful tactic for candidates to use. Oh, absolutely. Yep, crime pays if you're a politician. And particularly if you're a conservative and you want to run in a way to embarrass Democrats. Mind you, get some conservative Democrats also run on crime as well. Mm. So it's on both sides of the house. And of course, the media play into this. And we see that in Australia, that people who watch a lot of these American crime programs, you know, when they look out of the windows of their house in Chatswood, northern Sydney, think they've got the same problem (laughs) because clearly we haven't no but that's the role of the media that's right all fascinating points keith thanks for the discussion and see you next week thank you global truths is presented by dr keith Suter and me sasha barber gatt audio production by niall fernandez theme and original music by matt nicolich listener